welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode about the truth about investing. Back to basics, where I am going to attempt to be professional. My name is Chris Howling. I'm Sean Cooper. And today we have a guest to help out with our episode. Will you please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Andrew Getsky. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, today, what we want to do is we want to go over uh, long-term care. Uh, long-term, like not necessarily health care, but uh, just long-term care that may or may not be involved in day-to-day -day life, especially in the after you've retired. And really more specifically, what we wanted to focus on is kind of when you get to the point of you might just need a little bit extra help getting around from day to day and uh, really just just trying to make it by. And I, I'm sure Sean has a, a more specific plan than me just saying, let's talk about when you're old. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can fill in a little bit there. Okay. Uh, Long-term long care is really designed to uh, provide for expenses when you are no longer able to fill, fulfill certain uh, faculties on your own uh, specifically let's see here hold on we're gonna come back to go that. go ahead because because we do need to do that now we need to discuss who is andrew and why do we yeah, care <laughs> why are you here <laughs> yay why am i here uh, who am i uh, so andrew here is a, a very close friend of mine he was actually the best man at my wedding believe it or not because yes. everyone listening clearly knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, Andrew specializes specifically in a portion of long-term care. And uh, I, I don't want to sit here and butcher exactly how your job works and the types of things that you cover, but you step in in that middle ground where you are retired, but you aren't in a assisted living perspective. You're not in a nursing home. This is like a, a half step between a point where you actually need somebody to start to intervene, to start to take care of you because you are having people come out and help out with just getting groceries, moving things around the house, uh, where things might become a little bit more difficult day to day. Is that the case? Have I butchered anything? No, no, that is completely the case. Yeah, it's a uh, so I manage a, a non-medical home care agency. Um, and yeah, it, pretty much we deal in all of those activities of, of daily living. Um, so it's all things that if if family members are taking care of a loved one and they you know have to go to work or something, they'll usually contact our agency and we'll come in and fill in the gaps where either they can't care for a loved one or if they live in another state um, and they're noticing that that loved one is needing extra help, they'll reach out to us and then we take care of Again, all of those, you know, non-medical activities of daily living. Cool. Perfect. So along the lines so, of like homemaker services, that sort of thing? Yep. Yep. In in New Hampshire, at least. And, and that's something that tends to vary greatly by state, both what it takes to become a, a homemaker or a personal care attendant. Um, in New Hampshire, homemaker and personal care attendant are slightly differentiated by the training you have to go through. Um, homemaker, you actually don't have to have any training. Okay. Um, and that you could basically, you're pretty much performing 
kind of the housekeeping tasks. You can also do cooking though in their home and that sort of stuff. Um, personal care attendant, that you have to go through at least eight hours of training. Um, and that basically you get trained more heavily in, in like that transferring, um, toileting, uh, bathing, all of those things, helping, you know, it, even like sponge bathing and that being able to properly um, do those tasks and, you know, care for someone even who's bed bound, you know, keeping an eye out for bed sores and things like that. So it becomes a, a little more skilled in that that personal care attendant realm. And gotcha. so, Andrew, tell us about uh, the name of your business, where you're located and uh, do you do you have any insurance that gets involved in your claims? Is this all private stuff? Tell, tell us about kind of how you function a little bit. So yeah, it's it's Home Helpers of Londonderry. Um, we're in Londonderry, New Hampshire, um, and in terms of how people pay for these services, yeah, it's it's either um, private pay, so they're paying out of pocket. Um, Medicare does not tend to cover these expenses. It has to be in the the skilled medical realm, so like a nurse going in there for a specific, you know, either wound care task or um, you know they need blood pressures taken daily, something like that. Um, and so it, in our case, it's private pay. Um, Medicaid in most states will cover uh, during you know, within certain uh, Medicaid programs. Ours is called um, CFI program. It'll cover these homemaking and personal care tasks. So uh, government coverage, VA also covers it. Um, and then these long-term care insurance companies, um, some of our, it tends to be a, a smaller part of our population in this state at least um, but a few of our clients do have those long-term care insurance companies and then that we either bill the client directly and they pay us out of pocket and that insurance company reimburses them um, or in some cases we'll bill that insurance company directly and they reimburse us directly okay and Sean I believe that you uh, you have a, a list of the different categories of what starts to fall into long-term care don't you I mean, all of this really can fall under long-term care. Okay. Uh, you've got adult day healthcare, um, homemaker services, which is like, sounds like kind of the bulk of what uh, Andrew's company does. Home health mm -hmm. aid, which it sounds like also may fall under Andrew's category, but may also become more uh, under the lines of uh, what a uh, qualified nurse or somebody along those lines would have to fulfill. And then you've got kind of the opposite end of it where you've got the assisted living facility or full-on nursing home care okay okay that sounds good and you were saying that there's there's criteria that uh that are different separations for this as well uh, or, or we were talking about that earlier exactly yeah so for long-term care insurance to kick in so for you to be uh qualify so uh, the the reason they've created these categories and these requirements is they don't want somebody just to say, well, I'd like to have somebody come to my home and help cook meals and get stuff out of tall cupboards for me. Yeah, um, sure. So yes, they've created activity activities of daily living and there are six of them. And under most policies, you're eligible for benefits when you can't do at least two of the six. So the six are bathing, caring for incontinence, dressing, eating, toileting, so getting on or off the toilet, and transferring, so getting in or out of a bed or a chair, which is some of the stuff Andrew was alluding to earlier. 
but all of these can be fulfilled at any of the facilities. It's just a matter of degree. Um, you know, uh, some services will basically get to a point where, okay, well, you, we can no longer help you at home. You now have to go to an assisted living facility or a nursing home. Okay. Uh, so, Andrew, when, when we're looking at these different categories that are present in here, the, mm-hmm. uh, the different separations that we have here where we're talking about uh, getting to and from the restroom and, and these, these different levels that we were just talking about, do you have to be involved in the determination of those people? Is that, is that handled through the insurance company before they contact you? Or wh- where, do, where does insurance step in for you and where, where do you start to provide service or offer or how does that work? So yeah, in, in all of those cases, it's determined before they ever get to us. So it, um, we do have to come up with a, a care plan once we take them on. However, how many hours um, that they have that the either insurance will pay for or Medicaid, um, that all gets determined before they ever come to us. So when they come to us, there's already a claim number associated with with them, and it, it basically everything is set up. All they usually need from us is to just verify that we have our license and our insurance in place um, as an agency. Okay, fair enough. And uh, would you would you say comparatively when you're looking at these pricings, when somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm I'm thinking about uh, my mom. She's she's kind of feeling ill right now. We're considering going to an assisted living facility, or we might use your services." She does qualify for these things. We already have so that we don't have to take the the complicated portion of it. Uh, and they come to you. Does does your service offer a a more price friendly service? Is it is it the same cost, but people prefer it because that way they get to be in their home? Or where where are the differences between you and an actual active facility? Yeah, it's usually a, a mix of those. So it's usually it's going to be cheaper um, because it, unless someone is is a twenty four seven case, and those are a little bit more rare for our agencies to deal with, and that's where we we have a, a home health aide in there again twenty four seven, and they're awake overnight. So that can be you know three to four grand a week in some cases to wow. bill for something like that. That is usually actually more expensive than um, assisted living or even nursing care. And that's your, I'm sorry, that's your 24-7 case? Correct, okay. yep, for 24-7. For so really our, our kind of niche in this is that if someone needs a couple hours a day, if someone needs someone to come in and, and get them breakfast um, and or just help them with their, their bath for that day or just help them get out of bed in the morning, um, you know, we might have a, a three or four hour shift a few times a week. Um, that's where it's more cost effective to go with us. Whereas if you're in an assisted living, you're paying that weekly cost, you know, which is also part of your just living rent too. Um, so it's, it's that on top of it is just more expensive than what we are. And then on top of it, it's also the staying independent in their home. A lot of people don't want to kind of give up that independence of their home, don't want to go to assisted living and or a nursing home until you know the absolute just when it's a necessity so um so again it's it's basically a, a bit of both of those that totally makes sense and it just kind of for a comparison when you're talking about it could come to three to four grand a week if you had the 24 7 care 
rather than an assisted living. What what does a say three to four hour session daily, like you're describing, uh, when it is more cost effective? What, what does that tend to look like more per week? Uh, so we the it kind of ranges by state what the hourly rate is going to be. Most places just have it as an hourly rate, and usually three hours tends to be the minimum. Um, a lot of in-home care agencies aren't going to send someone out for only like an hour or two hour shift. Sure. Um, so for us, you know, if you do one three hour shift, that's usually going to be like 75 bucks. So it might be around 25 bucks an hour. Okay. Okay. And then just depending on what type of work needs to be done through the week is, is how it gets set up at that point. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, let's see, I, I had another question that now I don't remember. And so now we're sitting here just listening to me talk and look at me good. Well, mm-hmm. while you're thinking about that, I was going to say I, uh, I could provide some additional insight into kind of general um, national averages, if that's of use. Yeah, I love national averages. Are you kidding me? Okay. The old, yeah. the old so, N-A, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so a- absolutely, I agree with Andrew. So homemaker services versus assisted living facilities tend to be, uh, the averages anyway, tend to be very similar where where you see the difference is a getting to stay in your home versus moving to the actual facility and b like andrew was talking about with regard to um what level of care you actually need so i would argue say that the homemaker services tend to have a wider range of their for their prices whether you need just a couple hours a day versus the 24 7 care whereas the assisted living is kind of a is fairly set in that you you are there so you are going to pay for the whole day whether you actually need that much assistance or not looking at the actual national averages homemaker services assisted living facilities are fairly similar you're looking right around forty eight thousand for the year um, an adult day health care would be less because you know it's just for you're literally taking them there and dropping them off for a period of the day you're looking at around 19,000. As you get more technical with the uh, degree of assistance that is needed, especially in relation to health, home health aides are gonna jump up to about 50,000 a year, and then nursing home care, you're probably looking at about double. So 90,000 to 100,000 typically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, pretty significant difference there. It also varies quite a bit based on where you live. So looking again at the the nursing home specifically, you have the the low end of it with uh, states like Texas, where you're looking at about 55,000 annually. So more in line with some of those other costs, but obviously they're gonna be, you know, their, their alternatives are gonna be lower as well. Um, and then you have Connecticut on the opposite end of the spectrum at about 150,000 a year. Connecticut. Yep. What yeah, why? It's a huge bite. I'm not sure why Connecticut, but uh, yeah, and then the national average at about 86,000. And the other thing to keep in mind with these costs is it's really hard to judge how long you're going to be absorbing them for most people it's going to be less than a year statistically about 48 percent of people less than a year but that also means about 52 percent of people it's going to be more than a year and for 
a portion, about 13%, it's going to be five years or more. So can you imagine being in Connecticut, 150000 a year for five or more years? Pass. That would, yeah. <laughs> really expensive really, really quick. Jeez. Okay. And that's, that's a great point because that brings me to something that I feel like I was going to touch on earlier and forgot is that that's the type of thing that is something to, to keep in mind because when you're, when everyone is looking at wealth, looking at retirement, there's a lot of discussions that happen on, uh, especially 401s. 401s are, are a very common retirement plan just as a whole. And uh, you, you receive this retirement as a, a, a lump sum. That's pretty much the only way to receive the 401 once you retire. Isn't that correct? I mean, you can take it and kind of give it back to the same company, right? But it's still... Am I misunderstanding that? Uh, you can continue that? to make withdrawals out of a 401k in some instances. It depends on the 401k itself. Most 401ks want you kind of to kick you out, if you will, because their administrators are charging them based on either assets under management or number of accounts. So they don't want a lot of old accounts from past employees just sitting there. So they do want to kick you out um, and roll you into but you can roll it into an IRA, so an individual retirement agreement in your own name, and then you can make withdrawals out of that. Sure. So, yes, you're taking a lump sum out of the 401k, but uh, logistically, you're probably not taking a, a lump sum that you're just going to go out and blow. At least I hope not. I, I know those people. So <laughs> public service <laughs> announcement, <laughs> if if you are planning to retire at some point in time, even if it's 20 years from now or two years from now, if you're planning on taking a lump sum and not doing anything with your money, this is incorrect and stop it. And it is really the best option for you to go ahead and, and reinvest it. And a great option is to go through a Roth. And part of the reason that I wanted to touch on that is because if when because I still interact with a lot of people that are starting out with a new retirement and they're doing the math because they're going, Oh, I've never had this retirement before. I don't know what it's going to be like in the future. And they start to look at what their retirement's going to look like at the day that they retire. They look at this lump sum and they go, okay, well, if I have this much money, then I know I'm going to be good because my house will be paid off or it will cost this much. Uh, my car should be paid off or it will cost this much. And, and they break it down as if they are retiring today. But the fact is, and the reason that I wanted to touch on this stuff, and I, I know that Sean did, and the reason we brought in Andrew, there's so many names I got to keep track of, you know, three, <laughs> uh, that we wanted to touch 50% on. 50% increase. <laughs> it's throwing you off. Damn, math. Uh, the, the reason we wanted to touch on that is because there are other considerations that are going to need to get made because age happens. It's, it's just part of the process and maybe it'll be a longer time until you actually do need somebody to step in and, and be an extra set of hands. And maybe it'll be a longer time before you actually have to be in a facility, if at all, depending on how, how your life goes. But oftentimes if people are looking at it as, oh, I make this much money, so I'll be good for this amount of years when I retire, not only are you not considering inflation and what things will be like at that time, but you're also not considering what additional 
medical bills and services that may not be assisted living to come along with it. My exactly. Off, yeah. The, no, the when you mentioned inflation, that's a really good point because long-term care costs have been going up faster than average inflation. Oh, really? So the, these numbers that we've been sharing are actually climbing faster than the average inflation. Um, and I also want to make a couple of quick points for clarification purposes before we moved on. Uh, number one, you mentioned the the Roth, and I'd like to clarify that we, we're not suggesting you roll your 401k into a Roth, because if you did that, it would result in a huge tax burden if you did it all in one year. Um, there are instances where it might make sense, but you definitely need to analyze that with a accountant and or financial advisor. Um, Brought to you by your neighborly, friendly financial advisor that may or may not be specializing in asset management and very good at his job. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Welcome. Yeah. um, Shameless plugs there. (laughs) But, yeah, there are instances where it could make sense. And certainly if you're just getting started with a retirement account, you know, Roth may be a far more viable option in that regard than if you're talking about taking a lump sum from a... Uh, traditional 401k or traditional IRA and rolling it to a a Roth. Uh, The other thing I wanted to point out is, as you mentioned, not everyone will actually need long-term care services. Earlier, I mentioned 48% of people needing it for less than one year. That's of the people who actually need it at all. So roughly 63%, according to the data I've been looking at, will not need long-term care in any way, shape, or form, leaving about 37% that will, and those who do need it, it can become very, very expensive. So that's why we're talking about planning for it and trying to incorporate that into your overall retirement planning process. Right. You just don't want to get caught with your pants down, is is all it boils down to, because if you've if you've got these categories that you're you're making sure that you're accounting for, like say say you, uh, I don't have a great example, but you know you're going to buy a new car every year, you should <laughs> you should probably allocate how much that's going to cost as as we're moving forward. And even if you don't buy yeah, a car every expensive. year, that's, that's such a terrible example. I just didn't know <laughs> what else. To I go think with. the average person does buy a new car like every three years, though it's like a crazy turnover. Three years. Yeah, for something that should last decades. Well, maybe maybe they're they're not accounting the the whole rule of averages of the the people that buy a car for eight hundred dollars and then it explodes in two months. That's totally possible. Could be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, if if you're allocating for these things long term and you're just trying to keep track of what it is that's important to you and and what it is that you are preparing for this is another consideration that hopefully you don't need to have this extra set of hands and it's okay if you do by by every stretch like that's that's why there are half steps in between uh nursing care and assisted living and and andrew's company here because you want to make sure that you are only getting the degree that meets you and meets your needs except it's just important to make sure that you're going this could be a possibility i should prepare for it rather than oh i'll be fine 
it's the wrong approach. Right. <laughs> and there are a lot of different ways to approach planning for that eventuality. If you are setting aside the money in your own accounts, building up those assets, if you're already planning for retirement, you can incorporate this into that overall plan and say, okay, well, uh, as just an example, if I'm planning on needing between my spouse and I $100,000 a year to live, or you know, maybe it's more conservative than that, maybe it's 50, whatever it may be, all right, I, I know I'll need that much. And then there's also the chance that I'm going to need a, a larger a chunk here in order to incorporate these additional services for a set period of time. So I want to set aside an additional lump sum into my retirement accounts to be able to account for that. Another option would be long-term care insurance, which is you know kind of going in line with a lot of our conversations around health insurance lately, and that's why we wanted to incorporate it here because it all has to do with health. And there are a lot of different long-term care insurance options out there that can actually step in and cover these costs for you. If, now, the average premium, I think, is right around $2,700 a year, which is pretty expensive. Um, if, so can I interrupt something for a second? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, so Andrew, because this has a a tendency or at least a possibility of catching somebody off guard because they do think, I'm not going to need this. And then suddenly it's, whether it's because of an injury or just something that changed overnight because the body is a crazy thing that they just suddenly mm-hmm. aren't able to reach their day-to-day capabilities that uh, that normally they had been and never considered before. Do any of these conversations that come to you become difficult or surprising to people at all when when you talk with them? They say, this is the service that we provide and they are shocked by how much it does or doesn't cost is it is it something that they they don't expect to pay like that first stage when they're learning about it that they've never considered it before what are some of the conversations that you wind up having or one of the more common conversations uh i would say half of all conversations we have are surprised at the cost and assuming that Medicare is going to cover it, Mm. which (laughs) it does not. Medicare only covers if you go and get a surgery at a hospital and you need nurses to come to your house as part of the aftercare, and that's only ever temporary. Um, So true, like, ongoing, you know, help around the house, maybe help if, if you have a spouse that has dementia to keep them safe, keep them from wandering when you need to go to the store. Uh, that is not covered by Medicare. So if you need that, you're either paying out of pocket or you're low income and you can get onto a Medicaid program in your state or you're a veteran that you know has VA coverage. Um, but those tend to be a much smaller portion of, of the population than the people that just assume it's, Medicare is going to cover it and it doesn't. So is it is it fair to say that within that 50% conversation that you're describing that because it's a surprise in the cost is something that they just haven't allocated for and that they're they're trying to figure out how to afford it or is it is it just surprised or how, how many people can go oh okay well I, I didn't expect that cost but I can handle it and how many people go well I wasn't expecting that so now I have to figure this out yeah usually it's a, they have you know they they basically scoff at the price and we 
you know, either don't hear from them again or it's further in the future, a crisis happens, their family has to come together and figure this out. And we've had clients where basically all their children split the cost of it to get them care and basically keep them safe. Because the other, I think, part of this that people don't realize is all states have a Department of Health and Human Services and then also usually a, a Bureau of Elderly and Adult Services. If something happens to you, you get injured in your home, they, you know, they can decide that potentially, you know, it's a safety risk for you to stay in your home. And if you have no kind of backup plan, you don't have family that can come in and help you or you can't afford these services, they can force you out of your home, you know, into a nursing home, kind of that situation, because, you know, it's it's considered self-negligence in that case. That's a hard conversation. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I appreciate that. Okay. And yeah, sorry. To add, add to what he was. No, I would say it, I would second what Andrew was talking about there, because this, like I said, the statistics I was looking at, 37% of people are going to, at some point in time, need some form of long-term care services. And I would argue that that number is probably a... Um, lower than reality because I'd say there's a percentage of people who need the services that instead are relying on family members to do it and not necessarily mm. family members that, uh, you know, I, I think family members want to be able to do that for their, you know, typically parents, but at the same time, the, the stressors that it puts on the family dynamics are not necessarily beneficial by any means sure. so it's a tough I'd job you're, you're another taking another percentage a, mm -hmm. yeah i'd say there's another percentage of people that probably should have those long-term care uh, options available to them as opposed to relying on family even though the family is willing to do it um, because they probably have a better relationship if they didn't the other thing I would add to that is life expectancies continue to go up, which means these services are going to become more and more prevalent. Because although life expectancies are going up, the actual health and capability of the individuals living longer are not necessarily going up proportionately. Interesting. Okay. You were also mentioning... Uh premiums earlier premiums. and i i yeah. cut you off so average annual premiums are about 2700 a year which is really quite expensive uh when you you look at it from you know a long-term perspective of paying into this on an annual basis uh, especially if you consider that you know potentially 60 percent of the people paying into it are never going to use it but for those who do need it, it ends up being a very good deal because the the net out-of-pocket could amount to significantly more than that the other thing i would add to that is that is just an average and that's not only across the nation which we've already seen is very different depending on where you live in terms of the cost that you could absorb but it's also going to be very different in terms of your age so if you were to purchase a long-term care insurance policy and you were in say your 30s or 40s it's going to be ridiculously cheap at that point in time because you're not going to need it for many many years 
and honestly, most people are not going to look at purchasing a long-term care insurance policy until they're, you know, well into their 60s or 70s, which at that point, if you're into your 70s, it's going to be really expensive. I think the general consensus is in your 50s is when you really want to be looking at it in terms of finding that balance of uh, premiums as well as um, how long you're going to be paying into it. So just to clarify on that for a second, would you say as somebody that's starting out a new career in their 20s and 30s that it's it's a good idea to consider long-term care early on or you're saying it's best to hold off until a later point when you're starting near the point of retirement or what what's what's the best time to start to consider that uh you should sit the earlier you can consider it the better in fact if you can consider it in your you know 20s or 30s that's early enough where you can really have a good shot at basically self-insuring so setting money aside on your own to be able to absorb these costs down the road the beauty of that option is if you get down the road and you don't need that money for long-term care it's still your money you still have that money to utilize for whatever you would like additionally you can invest that money how you see fit hopefully grow it and not have to contribute as much as you might otherwise would if you were paying a premium The obvious risk to that is the scenario in which you have not set enough aside or you need the care earlier than you might have thought, you need more care than you thought, Um, a a variety of different scenarios that could come into play there. But it it comes in to that same concept that we've almost beat into the ground, honestly, of what risks you want to take on yourself. When you're looking at this and say, say you got somebody that says, you know what, this is, this is a great idea. I want to get on this ahead of time. I want to start taking care of this. Now I'm going to start organizing it. And they're, they're in their twenties, right? Because you caught them early. They're, they're super interested because they want to learn and they want to better themselves by listening to this podcast. And so (laughs) they, they took advantage of this moment and they said, all right, that's a great choice. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to put X amount of money aside which I'd, I'd say I'll let anybody decide what they think is appropriate over time on their own. Uh, but they decide however much money that they need to put aside. Is it best to start to utilize putting that money aside in a, a savings account type stretch so that it sits present uh, as, a, as a long-term account that you don't touch or as a you are opening up a a Roth of some sort and having that be your account that's made specifically long-term care because you're trying to keep track of it that way and hopefully getting some more growth out of it. Is is the risk worth it in the process of that or is the savings a, a sharper answer for your long-term care savings? Was that too many well, words? Jeez. No, no, that's okay. The If you put it into a savings account, I... I don't know of any savings account that's paying much right now because of where interest rates are at. I agree. You know, depending on where you are in the globe, you're actually losing money in a savings account. Also agree. Yeah. Uh, so a savings account is not going to keep pace with inflation, not even close, which means you're going to have to put in literally dollar for dollar whatever you're going to need or even more. Whereas if you invest the funds... Obviously, there's, again, risk involved with that. 
because the funds may not grow the way you anticipate, but on average, you can, the longer you have, the more likely you're to, you are to see a return that's in that average range. And being able to invest those funds, you can not only keep pace with inflation, hopefully, but exceed inflation, which would reduce the amount of money that you need to put into said account. Now, whether you do that into a retirement account or a non-qualified account is up to you. But for the most part, most people are going to need long-term care well after they're, they've reached age 59 and a half. So they should be able to withdraw the money from a retirement account without any additional tax penalties. So that seems to be the most logical option from my standpoint, since you can take advantage of the, the tax benefits now. The exception to that might be if for something happened and you ended up needing long-term care services earlier than that, then a non-qualified account would have been would have been a better option. But again, planning for that is going to be very very challenging. So, okay, fair enough. So, kind of six in one hand, half dozen in the other, in a way, just for right. Yeah. Do you want to that take on specific the risk category? Of, uh, inflation eroding your purchasing power or do you want to take on the the return risk of investing in it, it really comes <laughs> clear as down mud to, it's great yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's which risk you want to take on and it comes down to your risk tolerance and your ability to assume risk which is a, a lot of what i do on a daily basis is helping people determine how much risk can they really afford to take on and how much risk are they psychologically willing to take on because there is a balance between those two things uh, for a lot of people they have the ability to take on a decent amount of risk but they are not willing to take on that risk and it's helping them understand what it is they're investing in so that they can more readily accept those risks and actually take advantage of their investments as opposed to falling into the other category of letting inflation erode their purchasing power. There are instances, obviously, where you've got somebody who has very low ability to take on risk from a financial perspective, but they're more than happy to take on risk. Um, and that's an, a different sort of problem entirely. So, Right. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Well, what kind of circling back to it, though, is that I think the important thing is that regardless of which path you take between those two, it's it's great that you have the consideration to do that, to, to have the knowledge to even approach it that way, however you choose to do it, whether it is a savings approach or utilizing some form of a uh, of an investment, whether it's a Roth or a 457 or something to that effect, but you, you know that you're going to keep involved your long-term care and you take the consideration to what risk is worth your time. And as you're doing that, you are still doing something, even if it all just washes out and it, it comes out to be you putting a certain amount of money aside and exactly how much is how much you have, it's still not going to be the shock and awe that you would have as soon as you need it and the money's not there. Right. And to add to that, um, that shock and awe, if you will, roughly 9% of people will need more than $250,000 for long-term care expenses. That's of the overall population currently. If you are 30 years old today, so just to put this in perspective, if you're 30 years old today, 
that $250,000 by the time you're age 75, so 45 years from now, is just shy of a million. That's what run, I mean when I talk about Run that by me again? Be- oh, inflation-wise. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That. Yep. So, if I was to save a million as a 30-year-old until... Andrew, what's, what's the most common age of people that start to use your service? You have an average common uh, age? Yeah, I would say it's it's 65 and over. 65. So in the next 35 years, how much am I saving per month to save a million dollars by the age of 65 at, from from a 30-year-old standpoint? Numbers man, math athlete. Okay, so <laughs> it, assuming you want to get the equivalent of 250,000 in today's dollars by the time your age 65 instead of 75 right. you'd actually need 270 280 or sorry $728,000 by the time you're age 65 alright so in order to save that much uh, I guess it depends on how much risk you're willing to take on how, ingress- how aggressively are you investing these funds well so we're, we're still talking about the possibility of just saving it though because oh, you just might, saving it. Yeah, you might only get what you put into it, right? That was one of the things that we touched on. Okay, so thirty. Maybe I should play some Jeopardy music during this. That'd be. <laughs> You'd have to put. So, assuming basically, no interest. No interest. You need to put away a little over seventeen hundred dollars a month. Oh my God! Yikes! <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably not your best option. Oh no! Okay. Granted, we are assuming the extremes because only nine percent of people are actually going to need that much for long-term care. Um, we're also assuming no interest whatsoever. But yeah, yeah, I mean that gives you a good idea of your worst-case scenario. God, I might, I might not even even use this bit because it's just so depressing (laughs) yeah but it's important for people to understand oh i know it okay and so oh geez how do do i put this okay so now now we're looking at the potential of the same amount and we'll say a, a conservative approach let's do a conservative investment uh, we we call up our local financial advisor asset manager and say I need to start saving in case of long term care. I would like to start doing a conservative investment. What what is the best? Uh, what what's the per month that we're looking at on that on a conservative investment over time over the thirty five years? All right, you want to call it like four and a half percent? Four and a half percent sounds perfect. Okay. Uh, now you're down to $715 a month. That hurts too. Yeah, it still hurts. still hurts. But you're all... So, again, when we're talking about these in terms of extremes. As Andrew pointed out, there are other options that a lot of people are going to choose that will be less expensive because they won't need the full-on nursing home where you're absorbing these $250,000. Oh, so I'm sorry. This this 9% is when we're looking at the the category that we were talking about earlier about the 
the like twenty four seven care that's needed all the time category. No, uh, this this is long term care expenditures. Nine percent of the population will spend over two hundred fifty thousand on long term care expenditures. Okay. Okay. So yes, right. this this you. will absolutely apply to a percentage of the population, but it is only nine percent of the population. The other thing that you have to consider here is if you're planning for retirement anyway, then hopefully you're already setting aside money for your retirement. And say you've already planned for expenses in the neighborhood of, say, 75000 a year, then realistically, going from that to a nursing home facility, which is, say, 100000 you're not actually having to come up with another hundred thousand. You're coming up with another twenty-five thousand. That does make me feel a little bit, and probably a little bit more than that because, so going to that full-on facility, they're covering your room and your board. So you're no longer paying for your house unless, of course, you know you're a spouse, and then you are paying for a house and the nursing home, and that then you it is going to get really expensive, but. Uh, provided it's an individual or, or both um, significant others are switching over to a nursing home facility, then you're no longer having to pay for the house. You're no longer paying for food. You do have to still pay for your clothing and that sort of thing. And you will, you know, if you end up with something severe and you have to go to a hospital, you're still going to have to pay for that. They're going to cover your, your basics and even some basic health care at the nursing home facility, obviously, that's the whole point. But it's not going to cover really intensive services. You know, if you go into cardiac arrest, they're going to have to ship you off. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. So, like I said, this is an extreme analysis. And those numbers that we shared are re- not necessarily in addition to what you're already saving they are an a part of and an increase to if that makes sense sure because you you are also using your your day-to-day where some of your expenses are are just part of it where you're going to be paying for your home with or without this this long t- i i understand now it makes way yeah. more sense and it's it's less terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> it, it is still but expensive because e- even in that even in that scenario where you're not spending as much because you're having someone come to your home, you're not spending as much on the service itself, but you are still spending the money on your house and your food and that sort of thing. So that that is a a lower cost, but that one truly is an additional cost. The nursing home is partially offset by the fact that it, it's. Uh, a transition of some of the costs as opposed to being 100% additional. But you know what? This is, this is not the, the happy rainbows of investing. This is the truth about investing. (laughs) And we, we are considering these long-term things as scary and terrifying as they could be. And I'm I'm glad we're touching on that actually. Just to break in for one more comparison, because um, I know, Chris, you brought up the saving for it yourself. I did. Um, the 
I think it was mentioned that for long-term care insurance, that was like 2,500 a year for premiums. 2,700 on average, but yeah. 2,700. So for, it did sound to me like with those other comparisons that for most people just kind of biting the bullet and getting, you know, paying monthly or bi-weekly, however that would work for those, um, you know, 2,700 over 35 years, which that could probably change, I'm assuming, but that's still over that many years might only be, you know, 94,000 then, but you're at least, so do you want to, I guess, pay a smaller amount, but protect yourself just in case, or try to save, you know, $1,000 a month to do it yourself? You asking me or you asking the numbers guy? I have no idea. I'm just throwing it out there as a hypothetical. Like, okay. I think for most people, it is probably more advantageous to just do the insurance because most people aren't going to probably make enough a month to. Thinking myself of that number, I I can't save you know a thousand to seventeen hundred a month to, because I like to plan for worst case scenarios. Also, sure, I guess. I don't know either because the. So if anything, it kind of showed me the, I guess, even more the value of maybe just getting the insurance if you want to have a protection, but not pay as much each year that you're still working. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was. Maybe I, maybe I asked that question wrong initially. So we've we've considered how much you're going to be saving if you are self-insuring over this period of time for over the course of the 35 years, if I was to contact my local long-term care insurance agent and decided to speak with them about this, what do, does anybody know what that looks like for, say, the same scenario of a 30-year-old paying into it for the next 35 years until it's available to them? Am Sorry, I totally that misunderstanding that? It, same same scenario, 30-year-old, 35 yep. years, but at the 30-year mark, he contacts his local long care insurance agent and is able to talk with them about long-term care insurance. Uh, what What does the pricing look like on that paying into it now versus when they suddenly need it? I don't know what the average is on that, unfortunately. I have no idea. I'm just asking. Um, but to give us a more accurate apples to apples comparison, I'll adjust some numbers here mm-hmm. um, for the the savings because I, I tend to I, I think every person has to answer that question for themselves whether or not they would prefer the insurance and the security associated with that or uh, the self insuring and. Obviously, one of the the big factors that Andrew brought up that is very important is, yes, that 2700 is probably less than you would have to put away uh, if you were self-insuring. The big difference, at least for me, is that 2700 is no longer my money. Sure. If I don't use that insurance, yeah, it's true. money down the drain. Whereas mm-hmm. if I'm self-insuring... Yes, I might have to use it for the long-term care. That's what I put it there for. If I don't need the long-term care, that's still my money. I can now use it for whatever I would like. Because you could be part of the 91%. Then you could use it for 
other things rather than using all of it for long-term care, right? Correct. Right, right? Correct. Right. Yeah. So, Money? and if we adjust for, let's see, maybe the group can come to a, a consensus on how we want to adjust for the fact that that 250000 mark for 9% of us is a total expense for long-term care and does not account for the any offsets. So how would you guys like to adjust for that? Um, what? <laughs> how, I'm trying how... to give us a more accurate idea of how much you would have to set aside on a monthly basis if you were to self-insure. Yes. In addition to your already what you're already striving for in your retirement plan. Yes. Okay. So on the one hand, I, you know, nursing home, it really, you know, if you're doing a hundred thousand a year assumption, but you're already paying, you know, planning on 75,000 a year versus 50,000 a year, the hundred thousand is either a fifty thousand dollar increase or it's a twenty five thousand dollar increase. Um, taking on, you know, at home care, that's probably about a fifty thousand dollar increase. Okay, uh, we'll we'll so say what the... I'm saying is not all of that two hundred fifty thousand is additional. Some of it mm -hmm. is actually yeah. a, a transition from right. other costs that you right. already would have been absorbing. So. Let's let's sense. assume that it's at the the fifty thousand mark. We'll say okay. Yeah, the fifty thousand mark because the the so sudden if we cut increase. the number in half then or what? Because uh, fifty thousand is roughly half of. Here's the here's what I'm gonna number. say because okay. I, I I also don't know if this is gonna make it in or not. <laughs> uh, but here's what I'm gonna say is that for numbers' sake, uh, let's say that. At 65, you do great until 75. I'm going to make your numbers complicated, but you're a numbers guy. And so in that period of time, uh, then at the 75 mark, you you have like, it's, it's like a $25,000 difference from the 65 to 75. You do the, the at-home kind of increase. And then right. that, that uh, 75 to, what were you saying, 85? Is that what you were the full amount of time that you were looking at. I was thinking the rest of the time is the full amount. Andrew, any suggestions on that? I mean, if I'm understanding right, maybe even taking half, I guess, of that 250000 is an actual true increase. Okay. Maybe, because we could say for part of that, it, it could be someone transition. They did, you know, a year or two of... of less expensive maybe but having some people come in their their house and help them but right. then they have to transition into that nursing home which is 10 tens at least in our case that's what happens is you know someone's with us for a period of time it might be that year or less but then they go in the hospital and then they come back out and have to go in a nursing home right i think and that's, that's going to be their house probably gets gets sold a lot of times i from at least I don't have any data to back this up, but it's usually not a both people are alive situation. Right. It's usually once they've come to us, they're alone for whatever reason. Their spouse might have already passed away or something, and 
and so the house would probably get sold. So I, I guess I would say it makes sense to, um, yeah, maybe half of that number would be a true increase in expenses. Okay, that's fair. And we, are we still going with 65 is when we expect this to set in or a bit later? Sure, 65. Um, that's the average number it sounded like. I would say, though, it probably doesn't get expensive, though, till you're in your 70. 65 might be those people right. that decide they need just a little bit. But, yeah, I, I would say probably 75 or over is when, you know, most people in nursing homes, I would say, are in their 80s even. So it's probably uh, after 75 that it truly becomes a, a bigger expense. But people aren't usually still putting money into a category like this after they've retired, are they? Like, it's... It's just growth at that point, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Okay. It, they're not necessarily putting money into it, but it can still grow because they're not necessarily drawing out of it. So I can still work backwards. Mm -hmm. So if we assume... Um, all right. So if we assume money in for, you know, from 30 to 35, excuse me, 30 to 65, so 35 years, and then the growth of 10 years to get to the age right, of 75. So by the time we're age 75, we need it to be All right, so we need 500,000 by the time we're 75, which means we need if it's just growing at the 4.5% interest rate from age 65 to 75 at age 65, we need $321,963.84. I'll again, I'll just round up for ease to 325,000. All right, so starting at age 30, how much do we actually need to be setting aside? All right. All right. $319.33 a month? A month. Whew. That seems much more reasonable. It's it is much more reasonable. It's still that's yeah. still a tall order. That's totally still yeah. Well, consider that uh, with the twenty-seven hundred average, that'd be two hundred twenty-five dollars a month anyway. Although, as we pointed out, if you're thirty, you're probably not paying the twenty-seven hundred average. You're probably paying quite a bit less than that. But still, this is a way to do it with your money. Correct. Yes, and this is your money. This to is do whatever you want with. Right. So this is self-insuring. This is to keep track of making sure that you're taking care of the long-term insurance that uh, you are creating your own long-term self-insurance and that you are able to utilize this money over the time until this point. Uh, and it's also being done through a conservative plan uh, through your neighborhood-friendly asset manager <laughs> that uh, is able to arrange something like that that you can, you can still utilize and depending on how comfortable you are with it, you can use a more aggressive approach or use a more aggressive approach at first. And, uh, but this is, this is all strictly self-insurance in itself. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Sweet. And the point is either way it can get expensive. You need to plan for it because the people providing these services are providing a service, a legitimate service, and they deserve to be paid for it. So, Right, absolutely. And we are thankful mm -hmm. for when those people are able to provide such a service, Andrew. Very much so. 
<laughs> I, I'm very thankful for them too, as I don't personally do it. <laughs> I just move the pieces. I, I find and hire the people. <laughs> and you're doing great. Okay. We'll do we're, well. we're definitely pushing an hour here. So I, I, I need to bring this to a, to a halt, I'd say. But uh, I want to make sure that we thank Mr. Andrew Geske for coming out and joining us today. And thank you very much for coming on out. You want to give a, a shameless plug? You don't have to. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, I guess my only final thought is that hopefully this educates, you know, as many younger people as possible because it would be nice, not that I'll be working in this field 35 years from now, but it'll be nice if people aren't quite as taken by surprise and are a little more educated about what goes into this sort of thing and, and how to save for it. Right. And that's, that's so what thank I, you guys for doing this. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's why I, I try to say thank you for listening and taking the time to better yourself and learn a little bit more because it really does take a unique type of person to want to take the time to improve in the long term because it's just easy to go through life and not bother doing that. So kudos to you for taking the initiative on that. Uh, do you want to give a shameless plug into your to your business? It's up to you. Like, hey, if you want to come check us out, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, if anyone in the New Hampshire area, southern New Hampshire area, um, as a family member themselves have questions or might be thinking about needing just you know, some non-medical care in their home. Uh, you can check out um, Home Helpers of Londonderry. You can either Google it or you can go to homehelpershomecare.com slash Londonderry. Perfect. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, now to, to magically close us out, I uh, appreciate everybody. What, what, am I, what am I trying to say? I'm just babbling now. Um, um, um. So to close this out, thank you for joining us on another episode about the truth about investing. I'm Chris Holling. I'm Sean Cooper. And we will catch you on the next episode as we start to wrap up this season. Ooh. Podcast disclaimer, disclaimer. The disclaimer following this disclaimer is the disclaimer that is required for this podcast to be up and running and fully functioning and moving forward. This is going to be the same disclaimer that you will hear in each one of our episodes. We hope you enjoy it just as much as we enjoyed making it. All content on this podcast and accompanying transcript is for informational purposes only. Opinions expressed herein by Sean Cooper are solely those of Fit Financial Consulting LLC unless otherwise specifically cited. Chris Holling and Andrew Geske are not affiliated with Fit Financial Consulting LLC, nor do the views expressed by Chris Holling or Andrew Geske represent the views of Fit Financial Consulting LLC. This podcast is intended to be used in its entirety. Any other use beyond its author's intent, distribution, or copying of the contents of this podcast is strictly prohibited. Nothing in this podcast is intended as legal, accounting, or tax advice and is for informational purposes only. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. 
This podcast may reference links to websites for the convenience of our users. Our firm has no control over the accuracy or content of these other websites. Advisory services are offered through Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, an investment advisor firm registered in the states of Washington and Colorado. The presence of this podcast on the internet shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by our firm in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without our first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant an applicable state exemption. For information concerning the status or disciplinary history of a broker-dealer, investment advisor, or their representatives, the consumer should contact their state securities administrator. Started. Good. Yep. And then now, now, Andrew, we're going to synchronize. So uh, you're, you're going to say three. So one, two, three. Oh, that's pretty good. One, Two, three. God. <laughs> it's just so you. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. You, you guys are so rhythmic with it that it it feels like it's a Sesame Street show. It's like near, <laughs> one, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> Also, get a little bit closer to the mic again. Andrew. Oh, no. Sorry. You're fine. Oh, and the chair squeak. <laughs> All right. I hate to say it, guys, but I got to take a quick break here. Oh, no. I know. You'll get over it. One sec. I'll be back. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> this is the part where we, where we tell jokes about about Sean. Make fun of Sean while he's gone because he can't defend himself. If you're, if you're a oh, no. big silly nerd with numbers, then don't say anything. Wait, no, that doesn't work because neither one of us are going to say it. <laughs> 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 I, don't, oh. I don't have anything to make fun of him for. It's He's, he's too nice. Mm-hmm. You, on the other hand. <laughs> what? I don't know. What? Oh, where are my dad jokes? Dang it. I have a whole... Oh, hello. Okay. Uh, I hope this has all the noises in it, too. Be great. Okay. <laughs> Reach into the archives. <laughs> uh, random page. This is how we warm up, Andrew. <laughs> uh, when I was 10, my mom told me to take my brother to a movie so she could set up for his surprise birthday party. It was then I realized he was her favorite twin, not me. <laughs> That's terrible. How is that a dad joke? That's just a sad story. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> my wife accused me of being immature. I told her to immediately get out of my fort. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> you shall be removed from the premises, peasant. Oh, jeez. I believe you would do that. I would absolutely do that. Are you kidding me? I can't think of the last time I made a fort, though.